Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us today. We are now into day seven of our circuit break lockdown, as well as the Director of Public Health, who is with me on Zoom. The Minister of Health and Social Care is here with me today, and I will ask him to cover today's numbers. Also, I know that there have been some questions about the number of tests and live cases. I know that the Minister also has some other updates to share, including about shielding. David. Thank you, Chief Minister. Figures first of all for today. The total tests undertaken stands at 24,359. There is one person awaiting results. There is 127 awaiting tests. The total concluded tests is 24,358. Our total number of confirmed cases is 414. That's eight new cases. Of the breakdown of those eight new cases, four are linked to an existing case, three are for travel, and one currently is of unknown origin. Our total number of active cases is 36, of which one is in hospital. I know there was some confusion after questions about the figures at the last briefing, so I just want to clarify that the figures given by myself in answer to questions were those from the laboratory, which reports cases in a snapshot 24-hour period. In that 24-hour snapshot, there were six new cases, which is what was mentioned at the briefing, but there was also a new case just outside of that reporting period. The figures, figures published on a Monday are accumulative as there is not normally reporting over the weekend, although last week we did give figures on the Saturday due to the need for a press conference that day. So the total number of cases I referred to in questions in the briefing was new cases over that 24-hour snapshot, which was six. Since the figures were last updated on the website, there had, however, been a further case prior to that 24-hour period, which is why the update on the website showed seven new cases, as that was the total number of cases since the last public update. So can I take the opportunity to apologise if that caused any public confusion? Turning to shielding, last week we advised those that had previously shielded during the last lockdown to shield for seven days and then it would be reviewed. The advice has been clinically reviewed and fresh public advice has been issued that those individuals should now continue to shield for the period of the lockdown. It was important that we got the message out as quickly as possible, which is why it was published last night. Fresh letters are being prepared and will be dispatched shortly for those under the care of the hospital. Some may already be in receipt of a letter if their consultant has written to them individually. For those under the care of primary care GPs, they will be advised directly by their primary care provider. As a reminder, all those who received a letter during the last lockdown should continue to shield. While we have cases emerging in our community, it is important we take every precaution to protect those most vulnerable in that community. So although the advice is frustrating to many, and I know will potentially cause problems for them, some of those individuals' employers, it is important that this is in place at this moment in time, and I would urge employers to work with employees to help accommodate this. Just staying with shielding for a moment, if I could just clarify something for those in the over 80s category who have received their vaccination letters. It is okay for those in this category who are shielding to attend their vaccination appointments. In fact, I would urge them to do so, as it is important we get protection to those most vulnerable to this virus as early as vaccines.
Turning to a different topic, I would also like to take the opportunity to ask people to be considerate to our frontline workers. I have been made aware, sadly, of instances of community pharmacy staff being abused. Although these instances are few and far between, it is important that we try and respect those who are trying to undertake a difficult job at a difficult time, and I hope people will respect that. On a similar note, I have also been made aware of people being abused in public for not. It is important we all bear in mind that there are some of those in our community who suffer from medical conditions which either prevent them or it is strongly advised they do not do so wearing a mask. I hope that we can all show some understanding that some of those not wearing masks, who may be some of the more vulnerable in our society, have a very specific and legitimate reason for not doing so, and again, that we show tolerance and respect to all of our fellow community. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David. Now, just before I hand over to our Director of Public Health for an update on contact tracing, I would just like to pick up on a point that some people have written to me about regarding how we notify people about us. We've tried a couple of ways of doing this. At a previous briefing, Dr Hewitt read out a long list of venues with times. People told us that there was too much detail to be read out like that. On Monday, we said that there were new locations and we published the list after the briefing. People then told us that we should have read it out at the briefing. We know we cannot please all of the people all of the time, but we do listen. We will always release information relating to venues of concern as soon as we can. This is, of course, the right thing to do. The quickest way to do that will usually be through social media and in a news release. If we need to discuss any venues in more detail at a live briefing like this because they are of particular concern, then we will do that. A good moment to hand over to Dr Hewitt for her update. Thank you, Chief Minister. So I'll just um, update and enlarge on the new cases that Minister Ashford outlined just now. And that is the eight new cases last night, four of whom are within the same household and are in fact linked to a social event that was part of an outbreak last week. The other three are travel related and then there's one which currently has no clear line of transmission. So obviously the contact tracing around all of those is ongoing. But what we are beginning to see now is the effect of the lockdown. So whereas the cases that were identified around the Christmas and New Year period, not surprisingly, had large numbers of high risk contacts and also a lot of low risk associated venues because people had been out and about and because it was Christmas and New Year, they'd been out and about more than they normally would be. Now that we have the effect of the lockdown, when we are identifying new cases, even the on island ones, they have far fewer high risk contacts. So this is all good news and hopefully it's showing that we are beginning to get on top of things. Um, so obviously we'll, we'll report further when we have the, the results of that contact tracing. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, Dr Hewitt. I know that there are a lot of people working long hours on this and I'm very grateful for everything you and they are doing. I've said on a number of occasions that I have every faith that we can rid ourselves of COVID in our community. We did it before and we can do it again. As I said on Monday, government of course has a role to play in this. 
we have a responsibility to ensure that our health and social care services have everything they need, including in the rollout of vaccines. We have a responsibility to support our workers and our businesses to weather this stormy front. We have a responsibility to sometimes make tough and unwelcome decisions on restricting the lives of our people. I know it can be easy to look back sometimes and say, why didn't you, or what if you had? But as we have covered in these briefings, and as I'm sure you have seen on the media in relation to other jurisdictions, knowledge about the virus, its impact, its behaviour, and therefore how best to deal with it, are constantly evolving. I was struck by Dr Ewart's comments the other day at how much more transmissible the new variant can be. If no mitigations, like a lockdown, are in place, that is. While we are still awaiting the confirmation that the new variant is what we are seeing in the community, we need to act and behave that it is the new variant. This is the right thing to do. As I've said before, I can assure you that we make the, the decisions based on the best advice and the best information avail available to us at the time. When we get new information, we review and react, and we will continue to do so. While government clearly has a role to play, so do you. You have done so well so far. The Chief Constable has reported that apart from a couple of cases that you will have seen reported in the media, respect for the current measures is high. Of course, we need to avoid catching the virus in the first We know how to do this. Staying at home as much as, pos as we possibly can, wearing a face covering wherever possible, keeping our distance from others, and washing our hands as often as possible. But if sadly we do catch it, or if we are instructed to self-isolate by the contact tracing team, then we must do that. This is how we stop the spread deeper into our community. Your response when we asked people who had visited high-risk venues to come forward to be tested was amazing. People who did the contact tracing team um, have been asked to self-isolate did so. The way they have responded has been incredible. Well over 100 should be leaving self-isolation at the end of this week, as long as their day 13 test is negative. The response of the families and staff connected to the case at St Mary's Primary School was what enabled us to identify and isolate so quickly. All of these actions were examples of people stepping up and doing the right thing. Their actions helped us protect other people and the most vulnerable in our community. I would like to thank them again for this commitment to our island. What can you do? Stay at home unless it is essential for you to go out. Wear a face covering if you have to go out. You've been at a high risk venue at the time we announce. Self-isolate if you are required to do so and contact 111 if you have any COVID symptoms. If you've been asked to shield or shielded during the last lockdown, please do so again. And of course, it goes without saying by now that it is the basics that are so incredibly important, washing your hands and keeping your distance. Just before I go to questions, please remember that from midnight tonight, we will see the tightening of the measures in place as I announced on Monday. Garden centres will have to close. Hardware and building suppliers will only be open to trade customers. It is probably worth me making quite clear that despite a flurry of excitement on social media this morning, 
there has been no change to our border position. On the 5th of January, I announced that we had moved to level 5B of our borders framework. Nothing has changed on that. And I will reiterate that we strongly travel off-island. If people do travel or decide to travel after tonight, we, can, we cannot turn might entail. Depending on events, we may have to change the procedures relating to returns with very short or even no notice. I'd now like to hand over to questions from, um, from the media. And first we have Simon Richardson from Business 365. Good afternoon, Simon. Fast am I. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. My first is for the Health Minister, if I may. Um, the question is about the amount of vaccine which is now on Ireland in stock and ready to be injected. Uh, on Monday, administered or had administered 2.85 million doses. Now, we're entitled to a per capita share of the UK allocation of vaccine of, I think it's 0.13%. So, by my calculation, we should have received at least 3,690-odd doses, which is our per capita share of the doses, if you like, already administered in the UK. Now, as of last night, I believe we'd administered around 1,816 uh, of the vaccine. That's about half the UK rate, if you like. We've been waiting for paperwork and protocols to be signed off for the Oxford vaccine, but presumably... Uh, the vaccine is still being delivered to the island. How much of each of the vaccines is now on the shelf, ready to be administered? And uh, have we physically received the 1,880 doses, which I suppose you could say were behind the UK in injecting into vulnerable people? Right, so taking each of those points in turn, yes, we are getting our per capita share, but this goes back to something we covered in the previous briefing where the vaccine is two doses. The clinical um, group have come to the conclusion that we will be sticking for the time being um, with the recommendation from the manufacturers, which in Fife's case is 21 days, and I believe with Oxford 28, up to 28 days afterwards. So it is therefore important we've got in stock enough to cover that for any interruption to the delivery schedule. So if you actually calculate that into, I think, the figures you gave off a rough calculation in my head, that works out about right, Simon. Um, mm. In terms of the Oxford vaccine, we have one tray of that on Ireland currently, which is 700 doses. I can say that we have now received the Crown indemnity and the protocols from the UK. Um, I believe they are going through the final stages now um, of being signed off, and that will then allow us to start rolling out the Oxford vaccine, which I believe now will be the start of next week. Thank you very much. Now, my second question, it's reported that oxygen supplies are critically low in UK hospitals. Now, I'm aware that we produce our own here. Um, could we cope with a significant local outbreak? And I suppose in reverse, if we're able to bring this outbreak under control, maybe to UK hospitals? In terms of oxygen, we do, um, as part of the resilience from the last um, uh, time we had an outbreak on Ireland, we obviously invested in an oxygen plant that has given us resilience up as nobles. We do still receive deliveries from the UK. As far as I'm aware, though, none of those deliveries as yet have been disrupted, but we do have resilience there and on Ireland resilience. In terms of supporting the UK, it's not quite as easy because you've got to have, um, in terms of an 
Um, it's got to be produced at mass scale and also the way it's got to be transported as well and extracted. There's whole processes around that which wouldn't really fit in with what we are doing on Ireland. So while we've got the local resilience, we haven't really got that ability as a small jurisdiction to be able to produce on the scale or equally to the protocols required for transportation to the UK. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Simon. Now we move on to Tim Glover from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, Tim. Fast am I. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Ministers. And uh, uh, just on the cases, first of all, that were announced, uh, there was one unknown transmission today, and I, th I think I'm right in saying there was an unknown transmission yesterday. Uh, I get that we don't have the higher number of venues with the lockdown, but if we really no idea on where those cases have sprung up from. David, uh, can I pass one? it to the Director of Public Health, if I may, Chief Minister? Thank you. Uh, yes, we don't know where those have come from, so they have to be classified as sporadic community spread. That's not unexpected because as we get further away from the events that probably generated these clusters, we will get to the point where we can't track back because the middle cases, if you like, probably never became symptomatic. And even if we went out and tried to do wider testing, they'd have become negative now. So our focus now is on stopping forward lines of transmission rather than trying to trace the history. Thank you, Tim. Okay. Next question. Yeah. And the second question, of course, is so we've had a, a lot of listeners getting in touch saying, Dave elderly relatives, and that's where the priority is at the moment. But they're in isolation or they're shielding. Uh, they don't want to risk seeing them and transporting them to the hospital. They don't drive. They don't want to get a bus. They don't want to get a taxi. There's a lot of concern about getting people to get vaccinated who are elderly and don't drive. Yeah, yes, if I may, Chief Minister, under the current regulations um, around, um, around things like car, car sharing is obviously not permitted in general, but there is within the regulations about essential care. So the advice in relation to this is that if you are the usual carer, so say it's an el your elderly mother, um, or needs to be taken, say, to their vaccination appointment, you can do so, providing you and other members of your household are well, have no symptoms of COVID-19, such as a persistent cough, high temperature, um, that you do not, you are under 70 or not pregnant, and you do not have any long-term health conditions that make you vulnerable to coronavirus, COVID-19. You should stay at least two metres away from others wherever possible, and you should use masks in order to do so. So for those purposes of essential medical treatment, people can vulnerable relatives that they are carers for. Thank you. Thanks very much, Tim. Now we move on to Paul Moulton from Isle of Man Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Good afternoon. You said, I think, that you're happy with the data you're getting, but the numbers are still going up. You've given yourself a week now into this to announce you needed two weeks clear before you could end the lockdown. That's obviously not going to happen, is it? So can we have some more details of how long do you think you will need to keep this lockdown in place? And on the other part of that, can we see some numbers of age ranges? Because I know there's this family with a, a three-year-old and an infant that appear to have now got it. Is that quite important that we all know what's going on, who it's affecting? Right. Uh, well, regarding the latter point, I don't know, David or Henrietta... Again, I'll pass to the Director the of Public Health in relation to age ranges. 
Yes, we will expect to publish those as part of our dashboard um, eventually. Um, we did in the past provide that gender and age breakdown and we will expect to continue to do so. And if, if I come back to your first point, Paul, about um, how long before we come out of breakdown, I, I've said quite a while now that 14 days of no cases in the community unexplained. If, if we have travel-related cases, they're already in quarantine. We don't have concerns. If it's people we've already asked to isolate, um, that's um, not so serious. But um, the case, like you've just uh, um, picked on, the one case aware of how it's been transmitted, then we need to go 14 days. So obviously um, we've finished the first week. It's looking unlikely that we'll be out in exactly um, 14 days' time, but um, we'll be we'll maybe have a little bit more information for you at the next briefing on Friday on that. So if everyone that's in the system already, even though they've test positive at their next test, maybe on day 13, that won't affect the uh, opening up of things again because those ones are known about. It's just purely the ones that are surprising you. That in place then? Yeah, but obviously it's always based on the advice of our medics and the director of public health, Paul. Um, I'm trying to be as helpful as possible here, but if they suddenly say, no, we're a little bit concerned about the last case, we just want another day or so, then obviously I'm sure the Council of Ministers will be guided by that expert advice. OK. And can I ask how many travel-related cases have been caught out at the, the day 13 test? Um, again, I will hand over to Director of Public Health in case she has that information. I don't have that in front of me. I don't think we've picked up any de novo at day 13. That's good news, is it? Yes. yes. <laughs> well, it, it, it's neither good nor bad because the system is designed to identify positives as and when they become positive and control them. So it would just be what it was, but we haven't identified any at that point in the trajectory yet. OK. Thanks very much, Paul. Now we move on to Helen McKenna from Isle of Man Newspapers. Good afternoon, Helen. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Ministers. What's being done to ensure people are adhering to social distancing rules and face coverings? Obviously, you touched on before uh, people obviously getting confrontational. Um, so there's also been uh, complaints from people seeing groups that are not likely to all be a member of the same family uh, in numerous locations across the island. So um, obviously what kind of procedures in place uh, do you think needs to be necessary to stop this from happening? Well, Helen, I think as I said earlier in my speech, the police have reported that there's been a really high um, rate of people um, following the rules of, of the two metres. Now, if people see uh, a circumstances where there are a group of people not, then uh, I would advise them to contact the police to, to let them know that they feel there are people breaking the law. As I say, the police feedback to ourselves has been that the people have really done well on, on this. There might have been a couple of instances, uh, but they've dealt with it. I don't know if there's any further information, David. Uh, yeah, Chief Minister, if I may, just, just on the masks point, if I may, Helen, um, we haven't gone down the route of leaving. Masks are strongly recommended, and I can't say that 
more than enough. We really do recommend that people use masks um, in outside settings and indoor settings, but we haven't gone down the route of saying they're legally enforceable. It is up to the person and choice. What I was referring to is there has unfortunately been some abuse of people not wearing them, and they may have very legitimate reasons why they can't wear a mask. So, you know, so that's what I was referring to, but we haven't gone down the route of making that legally enforceable. From what I've seen, um, most people are abiding by the rules. I would urge people that they should do so. We have got two cases in the last couple of days where we're not certain of the transmission route, so that does suggest that the virus is out there. And as the Chief Minister said very clearly at the last press conference, um, uh, which also came from Public Health England, which I think was very wise words, I think it was Chris Whitty, that said everyone should act as if they have the virus. I think at this current time, that is the best approach we should be taking. Okay, thank you. And secondly, it's about the borders framework. Some people have been expressing on social media that they're confused as they don't know if the borders are cur currently at 5A or 5, 5B. Uh, can you just maybe touch on that, Chief Minister? Yes, um, I think I said earlier it's 5B. We haven't changed the borders at this moment in time. We've toughened up on rules. Uh, I did say that Things can change, so I would strongly advise people from travelling off Ireland unless it's absolutely essential because we don't know what may happen in the future and we may have to react quickly where we give very little notice or no notice at all to change our borders strategy, but it is 5B at this moment in time. There's been no change there. But thank you for the question, Helen. Thank you. Right, next we have Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast am I. Pastor Mai, um, I'm just wondering what's the uptake of people who, who are choosing to take these tests on arrival? Do you have a figure on, on people who aren't taking uh, those three tests? David, are you able to provide um, that? Or I'll, I'll bring you? the Director of Public Health in if she knows anything different to me. Um, my understanding is it is a very high uptake as a percentage. Um, I believe it's over 90% is my understanding of people who are choosing to go down the testing route. The alternative, of course, if they don't, um, who are coming in, it's 21 days self-isolation. But I believe it is 90% plus. But I'll bring the Director of Public Health in in case she knows something I don't. Uh, thank you, Minister Ashford. No, I don't know anything you don't know. My understanding is in line with what you've just said. Thank you. And, and for those who, who choose not to take the test, what's the likelihood of one of these people being positive after 21 days? Um, again, I'll bring the Director of Public Health in in a moment, but my understanding is that is absolutely minuscule. Um, certainly from the studies I've looked at, I, I haven't seen anything of anyone past 21 days actually shedding what would be contagious virus. There is cases I've seen around the world of people shedding for very, very long periods of time, but it hasn't turned out to be contagious virus. But again, I'll bring the Director of Public Health in. Yes, again, uh, my understanding is exactly in line with the Minister's. The risk is extremely low, but it's not zero. Is it a risk worth taking, then? Uh, well, I, if yes, I, it is. Yeah, I, I'm just on the back of that. I, I, it is. Um, you, otherwise, Alex, you could go on forever. You mm. could say, well, if you don't take a test, you're quarantining them 30 days, 35 days, 40 days, 50 days. You would go on forever. The risk is so low after 21 days that it is a risk worth taking. We've previously carried um, the 14-day risk of 1%. I, th you know, I, I think we've got to recognise this as a virus, and viruses interact differently with everyone. You are never going to get to a scenario that boxes off every single person because we as human beings, every single one of us is unique. 
Thanks very much, um, Alex. Now we move on to Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Um, fast am I. Fast am I, Chief Minister. We've uh, opened up questions to some of our readers this afternoon, so I just thought I'd like to ask you a couple of their questions. We have uh, a lady who would like to know why the government is not requ uh, requesting returning residents and key workers provide a clear COVID result before they're allowed to travel to the island. Right, well, I, th I probably think Henrietta, Dr Ewart had better um, answer that. I, I, I have a good idea of the, of the answer, but she'd probably give a far better answer than I can. Thank you, Chief Minister. Yes, as people will know and your, your listeners will know, many countries require a negative test to have been taken within 72 hours of arrival in that country. They don't specify the type of test and they don't specify the quality assurance and governance arrangements for the labs. So the quality of those tests varies hugely, both in terms of the actual type of test and its performance characteristics, and also in terms of the quality of the labs doing the tests. So that means that amongst those tests, you can have a lot of false negatives or false positives. In addition, somebody having a negative test 72 hours before they arrive somewhere doesn't mean that they weren't infectious at the time, they weren't infected at the time of the test, but not yet shedding, so it wouldn't have been picked up on a test. And of course, they could have been infected over the subsequent period and be infected and about to become infectious when they arrive at their destination. So for that reason, we could not accept a negative pre-travel test as any mitigation against the self-isolation and testing requirements that we have in place here. So then we have to say, well, how useful would it be? And I suppose the answer is that we could, or those tests could, identify some people who are positive, although it would miss others who are positive for the reasons I've just said, and those people could be stopped from travelling. Now, that is something that could be done. In fact, I think our mitigations, once people get here, are very, very strong and would actually reduce the risk of anybody who was infected and infectious when they got here from actually getting out and spreading it. But if we think about the fact that most of the people we're talking about here in terms of people who are returning travellers, they're Manx residents. So they're not people whose homes is somewhere else and they're just coming here you know, for a week or something. They're actually residents who live here and not in the place where they've been. Another factor is that a lot of travel from Manx residents off Ireland is to the UK for very short periods, maybe a day, maybe a couple of days. So for them, trying to access a lab, get a test organised and all the rest of it is going to be quite a logistical challenge in the small time they've got off Ireland. And on top of that, should they test positive and they had no plans to stay in the UK, they are then faced with another massive challenge and a cost of how do they find some accommodation that will accept them to self-isolate as a confirmed positive. So there are all sorts of issues in there. And again, one always has to think of the proportionality. What benefit would, be get, would we be getting on Ireland from that? And what disbenefit would be born? As Chief Minister has stressed, people really should not be leaving the island at the moment. 
But if they do and they come back, we are confident in the strength of the self-isolation and testing arrangements we have in place. And the addition to that of requiring a pre-travel test as well probably doesn't add enough to make it proportionally worth the burden. Thank you very much for that answer, um, Henrietta. I think it also points out to the fact that if you're taking a test that's maybe only going to give you a 50-60% accuracy as to whether you've got it or not, it may give you a false sense of security when you come back to the island that you think, well, I've been told I haven't got it. You might not adhere to the rules as um, maybe someone who doesn't know whether they've um, got it or not, and it could cause us more problems. So we know that our tests are the gold standard. The tests that people travelling to the island won't be the gold standard on the whole because the NHS in the UK won't give you that test. So I, I think for all those reasons, hopefully, Sam, we've reassured you as to why we think our way is, is, is better, or for the time being anyway. Thank you. And just secondly, there's um, been talk in the UK about pressure being put on the government there to move their vaccination priorities around, to move key workers up. Is, if the UK does go that way, particularly in England, is that something that we would consider here, or are we going to stick to our system of um, planned rollout? I'll ask David to take that, please. Yeah, we follow the guidelines of the Joint Committee on Vaccination Immunisation, Sam. They are the professional body that is best advised, uh, best able to advise on vaccination programmes and rollouts. Now, the, at the moment, we, ha we do have to be careful what the UK is actually saying because the vaccine is split into two key phases. So there is the first phase dealing with the vulnerable and age groups, and then there is the second phase of which key workers are included. Um, what, when the UK talks about people being moved up and the key workers, they're talking about that second phase at the moment. So they're not talking about it jumping the age brackets. So they're talking about maybe prioritising teachers. Um, the, I think I, I get the title wrong. I'm not sure if it's a chairman or the actual chief executive, but either whichever it is of the, JC, the JCVI actually said on the BBC News, I think it was the other day, that the JCVI would look at this. Um, the UK follows their guidance. We would look to follow it too. But we do have to be clear that doesn't mean them jumping to the front of the queue as the vaccination is now. What's being referred to is the second phase of vaccination, which would include key worker groups. And I'll bring the Director of Public Health in if she's got anything she wants to add on top of that. Yes, just to confirm that and just to recap that the first phase, once it's completed, will have rolled out vaccination to everybody aged over 50 and those aged 16 and over who have underlying health conditions. So that actually will pick up quite a lot of key workers anyway. And then in that second phase, after those first age cohorts and the underlying conditions have been vaccinated, um, the JCVI will review um, priority for key worker groups in the younger age groups. And one further thing I should add, Sam, on that very note is in terms of timescales, we are expecting to have that group done, the, um, basically the, those over 50 and the vulnerable category um, by, in May, um, by the end of May. And that is both doses of the vaccine at the moment. So whereas a lot of um, countries are coming out and saying they may have those groups done by April, we do have to be careful because a lot of those countries are referring only to the first dose. We will, on our current timescales, have delivered both doses by the end of May, so completed their vaccination for those groups. OK. Thank you. Thanks very much, Sam. We now move on to Rob Pritchard of 3FM. Good afternoon, Rob. Fast am I. Fast am I, Chief Minister. My first question just with regard to case figures. Uh, during the first lockdown, we had at least one instance where cases and the, where they were were broken down by postcode. Now, 
those were broken down into the first three digits no more because that could breach confidentiality. But I was wondering, will those statistics by postcodes possibly be available again during this lockdown just for some extra clarity for people? Well, it's certainly something we can ask the team to provide if they feel that they can and it's not going to disclose anyone's individual um, details, then um, I'm sure we can do all we can. David, if you want to add, add um, anything to that. I'll, I'll pass it to the Director of Public Health, if I may, because um, Public Health will ultimately um, be deciding around the figures. Yes, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to reproduce the same sort of dashboard of data items as we did last time, um, subject, of course, to capacity to actually do that, whereas at the moment capacity has very much been diverted to managing um, the large number of contact and other issues that have been arising. Okay, Thank well. you. My, my second question, um, I don't know if this has been covered before, but just for a bit of clarity, just like in the first lockdown, of course, things can change very quickly. Has any extra resources or advice been made available around COVID-19 for those who may be visually or audibly impaired? Right, David or Henrietta on that one? Um, if I could come in first, um, funnily enough, I was having a conversation, I think, with Manx Blind Welfare the other day. We forwarded on to them, for instance, the vaccination leaflet that has gone out to the over 80s so they can transcribe them. Um, obviously, we've been doing these press conferences as well over audio to try and help people. Um, I think um, with most modern computer software, you can actually, for, the, for the, those who aren't fully visually impaired, you can actually change the size of websites. So it makes it easier for them to read and all the information is on the website but we are trying to work as much as we can um, to try and assist people whatever position they may be in and that's why we use different channels and media for communication as well such as these press conferences thank you very much thanks very much rob and now last but not least josh stokes from itv granada good afternoon josh faster my Good afternoon, Chief Minister. You've addressed the communication confusion during the last conference and you ended that conference on the importance of clear information. Are you satisfied with how the government is communicating with the public compared to the previous lockdown? And do you feel compliance of the rules are just as high as last year? Well, the feedback on the latter point first, the police have intimated to my team that um, compliance is high. We always get... Um, complaints from people that certain people haven't um, gathered. I know there was pictures last year of people on, on the promenade in Peel and when you looked at it it was just the angle that people the photograph had been taken and uh, when you looked at it from another way people had spaced themselves out so obviously it's, it's a matter for the police to investigate any complaints. As a politician we cannot get involved in that in any way shape or form so if anyone has a complaint about a group of people breaking the rules please don't contact your local MHK or, or myself um, it, it is a police matter for, for them to get involved with. Now, re regarding information, we're learning all the time. Just recently, our, our teams have been at absolutely, I'm not saying breaking point, but that they have been flat out doing the contact tracing and making sure that we, we get um, people informed if they're at risk as quickly as possible. And as a result of that, sometimes other things slip slightly. We're only very shortly into this new outbreak, so I would just ask people to give us the benefit of the doubt. Um, obviously, we're working on um, information, getting out there all the time. We greatly appreciate our our briefings with, with the, yourselves and the media 
and um, long may it continue. And David, if you want to add anything. Yeah, um, in terms of communication, Josh, I'm a firm believer you could always improve on communication. I don't think you ever reach a point where, with communication where you can actually say, well, that's absolutely perfect, we leave it exactly as is. One of the issues with dealing with things in a pandemic phase is things are changing daily. Um, as soon as you give a piece of information out one day, there's no guarantee that that might not change the next. So it's a constant struggle to make sure the communication is up to date. Uh, I, interestingly, because I believe in learning with communication, I've been looking at what some of the other governments around the world have been doing. Um, and while I think everyone has room for improvement, including ourselves, I think in terms of if you look at the full communication package of the way the government is communicating, we are communicating with our citizens a lot more than many other governments um, who, are do, who aren't even doing the regular conferences like this. Um, we are actually, you know, they're doing it by press release or by statistical release, whereas we are putting ourselves out front and centre to answer the questions where we can. Okay, thank you. And my uh, second question to Dr. Hewitt, please. Um, Dr. Hewitt, how concerned are you that, about the current spread given it's increasing day by day? And given the current numbers, how long do you think it will be until we see the benefits of this lockdown? Will it be days or weeks? I think we're beginning to see it already, um, as I said before, and, and that's reflected in the reduction in the number of close contacts that cases have. Um, largely, we're seeing groups that are connected to clusters, as I, I said, uh, and travel, which we expect anyway. And so, you know, although we are getting ones and twos of sporadic cases, we can close those down now with the self-isolation and the testing. And because we have lockdown, they are obviously, now that they've been identified, they're not going to be out and about, but they weren't even out and about in the couple of days before we identified the cases as positive. So I think we are beginning to get to the, the turning the corner point on that. And obviously that will be borne out or not over the next couple of days. Okay, and just to end, in terms of whether lockdown could be extended, what are your initial thoughts on whether this should happen at this point? I think we always need to be guided by our most recent positive cases. So if we continue to see sporadic ones popping up, I think ideally we want to, at a time of, you know, a gap, a good 14-day gap since the last case before we can, you know, say that we are reasonably confident of, of relaxing further. Okay, thank you. Thanks very much, Josh, and thank you all very much for your questions. All things being equal, we will be holding our next briefing on Friday. But if there is a reason to hold one sooner, then of course we will. As always, if you do need information, please visit gov.im forward slash COVID-19 or call the community support line on 686 262 or email COVID-19 community support at gov.im. If you have any COVID symptoms, then call 111. I will leave things there for today. We can get through this if we work together, support each other and make the right decisions. And if we remember the basics, stay at home. Before you go out, ask yourself, is it essential? If you go out, wear a face covering if you can. If you have any symptoms, then stay at home and call 111 as soon as possible. Make the right decisions to keep you, your family and your island safe and to protect our vaccination programme. Thank you very much.